1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Take Cast. My name is Davis Matic. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Davis Matic. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by my buddy, Peter Overzet, as we uh, run through episodes three and four of The Last Dance, ESPN's ongoing Michael Jordan documentary. Uh, episodes three and four were the Dennis Rodman and Michael uh, Phil Jackson episodes, rather. I think both of them were really funny. I think Peter had, of course, you know, a lot of really interesting things to say about the documentary. Documentary every week, uh, going to be bringing someone else on. Uh, maybe Peter again. Maybe Nate again. But we'll we'll be a rotating cast of people in here to discuss uh, the the last dance because it's it's all we have right now. Right. The, right now, all that we have is the last dance as a simultaneous sports experience. So, if you want bonus episodes of the show, head on over to patreon.com/takecast. You can get more. Uh, if you want to just support the show without spending any money. I would appreciate it. Really, I would. I, you know, it's it's awesome to get new reviews and ratings of the show on iTunes, Google Play, everywhere. So, you know, everyone who supports the show, uh, thank you very much. I I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, we'll go ahead and get into the episode now. All right, everyone, welcoming in Peter Overzet to the show for our Last Dance episodes three and four recap. Last week it was Nate Noling. Uh, next week, who knows? Maybe maybe it'll be. Nate and Peter, maybe it'll be Dink. You know, just just who knows. Uh, but every every Monday, we are recapping the episodes of uh, The Last Dance. Really original idea, Peter. I don't think anyone else in the podcast industry is doing this. I think I think I was a visionary with with uh, with this.
0: Yeah, you really filled kind of a hole in the market. And I also just want to say, I did pour uh, a bunch of Red Bull into my black coffee this morning just to kind of channel a little bit of nate's energy since people have grown to love that
1: <laughs> nate is uh nate is the most uh placid dude ever who drinks uh 16 red Bulls a day you get it you get him on a podcast and he just reads stats off a spreadsheet while like uh you know taurine just flows through his veins
0: yeah how so old is
1: cool nate stuff. nate is i think a little bit older than me i think he might be a year older than me so like 28 29 okay that's my, that's my guess. I've never actually asked him. I just assumed we were roughly the same age and I don't actually know how old Sammy is either, but he's just like somewhere in his fifties, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's
0: truly fake young.
1: So, well, speaking of fake young, this is a question that I, well, I didn't even think about until I asked you to do the show with me, but because you are actually a fake young, you, you have memories of Michael Jordan. Whereas <laughs> I would have no memories of my. I mean, maybe maybe like Wizards Michael Jordan. I I would have seen play on TV a couple of times, but I never was old enough to remember Michael Jordan. You you would have been what like eight, nine, ten during the Last Dance.
0: Yeah, exactly. I was born in eighty
1: seven, so I like I have vivid memories
0: of like the ninety five through ninety seven stuff, it, basically that post baseball era for Jordan I remember I think the one of the I also remember as a kid watching the Houston Rockets in the NBA finals and then that was when the OJ chase interrupted it Mm -hmm. um so that's about as deep as my kind of like NBA memories go but yeah I mean I I, just like so many people I mean I grew up the poster over my bed was the Michael Jordan dunk contest from the free throw line him paused mid-air like you know, for so many people. And for me, he was, he was the guy. He transcended everything.
1: Were you, were you, um, like a Celtics fan growing up? Were like, you, were you like, so you were like, oh man, screw the Bulls, bro. Larry Bird forever.
0: Well, here's the thing. People forget. I I was not born in New England. I, I grew up in Denver. So I was a big Denver Nuggets fan. And like one of my most glorious moment as a kid NBA fan was when the Nuggets knocked off the Supersonics as the eight seed and the Dikembe Matumbo finger wag on wow. uh, on Seattle's court. And then they went on and they ended up losing to the Jazz in that next round. And then the Jazz went on to play the uh, the Bulls. But yeah, those, those were my days. The Dikembe Matumbo, LaFonso Ellis, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, those were my guys.
1: Wow. Peter bringing a, a breadth and depth of, of <laughs> basketball knowledge that we just did not know was going to be coming from uh from Overzet. So I think my, my primary takeaway from episode 3 there's there was a couple of things that I thought were hilarious. I mean first though, I just I need to say Dennis Rodman. I don't know what other people's reactions were. My reaction to all of that was Dennis Rodman is like the coolest dude ever. Like I like I like if I would have been like you know tw- sending tweets in uh, in nineteen ninety seven, I would have been like everyone leave Rodman alone. He's the best. Like I like he would have been my header instead of Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. Like I would have loved that dude if if I would have been old enough to experience like prime Dennis Rodman.
0: Yeah, I mean he. All of that stuff. I mean, I can't get over just the uh, – I actually never knew the story about him just taking the, that weekend off. And it's just crazy to think about that happening in 2020. You know, i have tried to imagine, like, Gronk, if he went to Bill Belichick, you know, in their, their dynasty age and was like, yo, I just need to go to Vegas for, like, four days, even though we have a game on Sunday against the Chiefs. <laughs> like, it just would be an absolute no-go.
1: So, apparently, okay, I can't confirm this because I was six years old at the time. (laughs) Apparently, this happens again in the documentary. Apparently, during the NBA Finals, he peaces out to Vegas again, and MJ has to go get, and he actually misses an NBA Finals game partying in Vegas, and MJ has to go get him. Jeez, I I was not aware of that. I uh, saw, I saw a couple, you know, old, old heads tweeting about how like this is not even as dramatic as the Rodman story gets, right? Like, like, yeah. like they're saying, like, actually it's it's gonna get more intense.
0: Don't you think too, again, I feel like part of what makes watching this documentary so fun is comparing the eras, and obviously everyone wants to have the like Jordan and LeBron debates, but also just thinking about. The alchemy needed to make the Bulls work and like all these different roles. And part of that alchemy was giving Dennis Rodman this long rope, knowing he was going crazy just being on his best behavior there without Scotty for a while. And they decided that the best thing for the entire team, not just for Rodman, for the entire team, was to give him a weekend vacation blowing off steam in Vegas. Like that just can't happen. Now, there's just too much media, too much focus, too much social, too much pressure. But back then, they could have that secret sauce be part of their team building.
1: Well, it's because because it's not like people are going to be tweeting photos of Rodman at the club, right? Like, literally, probably only people that were in Las Vegas knew that he was there. I mean, maybe... Like maybe it would have been a tabloid story or whatever, but it would have taken a couple of days. Like you have to literally mail the picture of Dennis Rodman at the club back to wherever. like it, it would it would have not have been you know, a, a national story. I will say though, LeBron LeBron does this. LeBron goes for vacations in the middle of the year. He's the only one. He did he, He's done it pretty much once a year uh like uh, well off and on for like the last four seasons he's gone on at least like his uh in the last Miami year he took two weeks off um the first Lakers year at the end of the year he was just like you know what it's it's good we're good here and he just like wasn't even on the bench or anything
0: yeah but LeBron going to take a uh, vacation is like laying in a float tank in the Redwood Forest you know not playing crafts and going to the club and getting bottle service
1: I think that, uh, that, uh, I think kind of sucks for NBA players. Cause I think that because NBA players travel so much and probably for baseball players too, like that's actually probably, although baseball players, I would assume are more anonymous cause they're not, um, you know, seven feet tall and baseball is not as popular of a sport. So they don't get recognized as much. But I, I would think that like, you know, just going out on the town and hanging out and staying out late used to be a big part of playing basketball. And now I'm sure like, you just can't get away with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the it's been a double edged sword, I imagine for athletes, you know, the amount of things they're able to do with their Instagram and Twitter and kind of their social followings, but it also has that dark side to it where they can't get away with the stuff they used to. And I actually think that's a whole interesting dynamic, too, of like why Jordan and his story was able to be, you know, deified you know, to the extent that it has, because like, just as a, again, as a thought experiment, imagine Michael Jordan, if he had an Instagram throughout his playing career, and he's like, doing Instagram ads and doing like, live Q&As, like it destroys the mythos of him. So much of it was this mystery and his, you know, being this maniacal assassin. But it's like, we're just so able to casually forget all the warts and stuff. Um, because there wasn't the media to just fully highlight it like there would have been today. I don't know. I think we would probably think of Jordan as way more of a cornball if he had social media.
1: Well, so I think that some older non-Bulls fans did kind of think of him as a cornball, not because of the – like because all you would get of him – was like the Paul Bunyan tales of how competitive he was, and then ads. Like, Michael Jordan was not sitting down and doing, like, interviews and stuff back then where he would say, like, real things. Like like So, for example, like, Kevin Durant, I think, is, like, the most human superstar that there is where he's just like, yeah, I get mad at trolls online like everybody else. Whereas, like, MJ just, he would never, like, he would just be on the complete opposite and be like, what dude i don't even know never i would never even read my replies we're like obviously he would to like fuel himself so it would just be like a lie i just i do think it is very interesting um this like so michael jordan said he was worried that people would like him less from watching this documentary i'm having the opposite experience where like i i find it absolutely hilarious that 30 years later he's still like oh, yeah, they had Craig Elo guard me, like that white loser. Like, there's no way that dude can guard me. Or like, oh, yeah, the Pistons didn't want to shake my hand. I still hate those guys. Like, that I actually just think is great. No,
0: and I I think he's completely wrong because – this documentary is solidifying the things that people want to believe. Like just in my promoted tweets, not people I follow, two tweets I saw when I pulled in this morning was one saying uh, Draymond Green wishes he was Dennis Rodman or he'll never be Dennis Rodman. And the other was the 08 Celtics think they're the 89 Pistons. Like people love that idea of our mm-hmm. generation is soft. This is the badass generation. And let's just forget all the idea that the rules were different. And you could get away with more. And so all of this stuff that Jordan's saying on the documentary, that doesn't make us like him less. It helps conform this nostalgic narrative we have in our heads about that era.
1: I I, I mean, I imagine, I imagine there is going to be some stuff that comes out where like, I mean, maybe he's super mean to Rodman, or maybe he like I mean, so the the Scottie Pippen migraine thing, right? It's like Jordan does not think that Scotty had a migraine or, or doesn't think that it was worth the excuse or whatever. Um, I guess I didn't I didn't know this, obviously, because I was not born yet, but apparently that Game Five loss to the Pistons in '88. MJ played terribly. I think he, I think he went like four for sixteen from the field or something. And uh, I saw Dragonfly Jones, who um, obviously, if you enjoy this podcast, you should be following him. Tweet like, oh yeah, MJ has a very heavy hand in the production of this because they didn't talk about how basically that was the worst playoff game of his career. And I, I looked it up on Basketball Reference, and it was. I mean, it was like it was like the game where Kobe was like, you know what, I'm not bailing you guys out, and just passed to his teammates the whole game. Yeah.
0: It it is funny. I'm glad you brought up that point because another thing that made me start to kind of be like, hmm, with the editing is how much Tony Kukoc have we gotten in this documentary?
1: So he is on the, again, very original idea doing a recap podcast for this. He was on the recap episode for three and four with Zach Lowe. And apparently I think there's just a whole Tony Kukoc episode coming basically. Like, we didn't get very much Rodman in episodes 1 and 2. I would imagine we're going to get 30 minutes of cuz he was Jerry Krause's like golden boy. Like that was yeah. like his like dude, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it just does I still think that there's a lot of uh MJ's editing hand, you know, cast a in very this. large shadow over this uh for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously this would be a lot better with with no MJ access to editing or, or rights or refusal because there are going to be people who have mean shit to say about him. You know what I mean? Like, there yeah. are going to be people who are like, yeah, playing with MJ was fine. It was good to win. But, like, it was not enjoyable and the guy sucked to be around. Like, there's going to be that.
0: Yeah. But, again, going back to that same point of... You know, you're saying like we might get to a point where some of Jordan being a bad teammate like tips the scales where people have more view him in a slightly negative view. I still think it kind of confirms the priors that people want to believe about MJ's singular focus to be this killer on the basketball court. Because, again, what's the whole criticism against LeBron and all these guys? They all buddy up. You know, they all are going to go and play together. They all go do this stuff together. Right. They're not, they don't actually hate each other on the floor. So when we see Jordan being like, Scotty, I don't give a shit about your migraine that we're, we're deep down. We're like, yeah, that's the Jordan. I know he's an asshole. And all he cares about is winning. Like all that does is confirm those beliefs we have about him.
1: See, I, I, the other way, like, I want to think that Michael like actually like loves Scotty. Like I, I, I want to think that like, that's like a true friendship where, where Pippin was actually uh you know what proved himself to Jordan or whatever to the point where he's like whatever Scotty needs like Scotty's gonna get like that's my boy but I don't know if that's true or not well to that
0: point there was another scene uh in this in these most recent episodes that I think speaks to that point about this unspoken thing just like the guys are gonna be guys and aren't capable of sharing their emotions even though they feel it and that was Rodman going to Jordan to apologize by asking him if he had a cigar cigar yeah and, he, and Jordan says he never apologized. It was just him asking for a cigar, and they talked it out without talking it out, which is what, you know, macho guys do who can't just yeah. say, I'm sorry. I, I,
1: I will say, I I did find the whole, like, those dudes just, like, accepting Rodman for who he was, like, like honestly pretty touching. Like, because yeah. that – I don't think – I actually think, like, in 2019, 2020, NBA, I, I still think that someone – who, who is, like, openly, like, depressed and, like, had, like, a suicidal incident like Rodman had. Like, I actually think that teammates would be still, like, I still think that would be a tough situation today. And it, it seemed like Rodman, like, had, like, respect and stuff from all those guys, which I thought was really cool.
0: Yeah, and I think it, again, it speaks to what he did for them on the floor. Like in a lot of ways, his role on the floor was this incredibly selfless role, not requiring any shots, busting his ass, you know, playing incredible defense, going after every rebound. You know, that endeared yourself. Like I when I play rec basketball now, I have the like Dennis Rodman, Draymond Green aspect in that my shot isn't as good, my handle's a little weak, but I still Know how to get. Yeah, rebounds, if you if I you know. hustle
1: on defense and rebounds, playing pickup basketball, and you're not super annoying about it, like if you don't go to like like the eighth level of that and you're just like you're where you're supposed to be you don't ask for the shot you pass to your teammates who are clearly better at shooting like everyone will love to play with you
0: right and i get from like three different fred groups people asking me to come sub for their rec basketball teams and it's not because i'm so great it's like oh peter's not gonna demand the ball the ball and he's gonna hustle it up so i think you know Rodman's style of play they were willing to give him a long leash and i think it too is fascinating Thinking back to those teams and how perfectly those guys in their roles fit. You know, I feel like if you had even one extra guy who demanded the ball more, but both Scotty and Rodman being so deferential was just massive for their alchemy.
1: Yeah, so that's definitely true. And actually, they haven't even really gone into the the whole roster yet. So I am I let's uh, the the ninety seven ninety six Bulls. I, I'm on their I'm on their uh, their basketball reference page right now. So Jordan and Pippen combined twenty three and sixteen field goal attempts a game. ku coach eleven point four. Luke Longley, who again we have not got very much of yet in this documentary, ten point five. But then it is just all dudes who it's Ron Harper, Steve Kerr, Scott Perrell, Dennis. It's, it is just all dudes. And by the way, Bill Weddington who was the starting center for this team. I mean, this guy just looks like your dad, like he's on the, he's on the plane with the camcorder and like he, he could be an assistant coach to me. You know what I mean? Like he is the most average, like milk toast looking dude in NBA history.
0: Yeah. And it's funny too, talking about, you know guys wanting shots and needing shots I mean we had two really good moments in these episodes the first one was about I believe it was at the 91 finals versus the Lakers the John Paxson the
1: Paxson yeah and
0: Jordan is almost reluctant to be like yeah I was passing off to Paxson for the big shots but he's like he kept making them so I'm like I'll just keep making them
1: (laughs) which which is like a huge part of the Phil Jackson ethos where it's like oh he was the one who got Michael to pass the ball and Michael kind of takes ownership of that by being like, if Paxson wasn't making those shots, I was not going to be passing the ball. You know what I mean? So it's like, Michael, who's open? Like, that's like the Phil stories. Like, he got Michael to see who was open, which, first of all, again, begs a question of, you know, how easy was basketball for them then that this offense that they spend a good 15 minutes on in this episode, the triangle, uh, Michael didn't start seriously instituting it until a finals game. Like, you know, what's going on?
0: yeah well the whole funny thing is you know michael goes okay the old you know the doug collins offense is michael shoots every shot has the ball in his hands this phil jackson one and of course we get the money quote which is i don't want bill cartwright to have the ball with five seconds left that's not an equal opportunity offense that's fucking bullshit
1: yeah that was that was <laughs> i think uh, of the of the four sixty minute episodes we've gotten him saying i don't want bill cartwright with the ball that was to me the highlight i think that was the best that it had gotten it props
0: to the editors on that to overlaying the footage of the ball getting swung around the perimeter and Cartwright just missing a shot. At the end and then of the
1: shot. we hadn't even gotten Cartwright in the documentary yet and then he shows up, right yeah. And then he shows up like five minutes later and I just I'm wondering how many of these guys are seeing these quotes from Michael for the first time and being like, you know, they have to weigh like, oh, well, I did win you know X amount of championships with Michael Jordan. Uh, He still doesn't like me. So like, you know, balancing like that human equation is very interesting as well.
0: I mean, just from the Steve Kerr quotes we've heard over the years of him talking about, you know, Michael not being a fun teammate. uh, I have to imagine that not a single thing that is said is surprising to any of his former teammates.
1: Yeah. So actually that's something I talked about with Nate on the first episode. What do you think Steve Kerr twenty twenty feels about Michael Jordan? I, I just think he doesn't like him. I just think championships are not, rings are not, whatever. I just think Steve Kerr legit does not like Michael Jordan.
0: I would agree with that. And because Kerr, a lot of what he's tried to do, I I would guess from a culture standpoint in Golden State. Is States- like the
1: exact opposite
0: yeah, a referendum on like, look, you don't have to do it this way. Like I can have Steph Curry be the likable leading scorer, you know, or we can, I, I, I agree with that. I think that experience probably really scarred him. And he said, wait, we can be successful without having uh, what would we call it? Not a, a, a negative work environment a not we.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fostering, <laughs> fostering, uh, you know, overall fostering a, uh, a positive work environment. So, yeah. okay. One, one other very important thing. Uh, the, the bad boy Pistons just, I mean, so stupid, just so like the idea of like making basketball a more physical sport and like fouling, like that is to me the dumbest, stupidest thing. And like, I get that they were good and they won championships or everything, but like, I mean, just so, just stupid to me. Like people who deify bad boy Pistons stuff. It's like, I mean, go watch football, dude, go watch rugby. You know what I mean? Yeah. it
0: It is so funny too, that, to deify that too, like, I don't know, we get we can go down this rabbit hole about like the eras being different, but I mean, imagine if the athletes today, the the size speed specimens and the the builds that these guys have were allowed to just do like prison rules basketball like the, those guys do too, we would be like, holy hell, these guys are vicious. Like you don't think the guys today – Well, guys,
1: guys would get hurt today because like yeah. – so that's another thing is, yes, Michael looks – I mean, Michael, the other guys are so slow, so skinny, so small. And like, I mean, Bill Bill Lambeer is just like a Michigan factory worker in 2020, you know, because he just – he's not an athletic guy. That's just not what he was. He was just a big dude. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is just so funny where people seem to. It's like you can appreciate that era and how it was played and the physicality of it, but then like crushing guys for being soft today because the rules don't allow them to foul like they did. I just don't get that argument.
1: All right, we gotta we gotta we gotta talk about Phil because I think Phil is a complicated part of this story. So for those for those who don't know, this book, The Jordan Rules, which um, a lot of <clears throat> like a lot of the stories we know about Michael Jordan came from the Jordan rules and it came out before the last dance. So it came out, there were a lot of uh, stories about the bulls about MJ so on and so forth. And they were all basically, they were leaked by Phil Jackson more or less. They were, they were leaked by Phil Jackson through another employee of the Chicago bulls. Phil got this guy fired. Jerry Krause fired this guy. Phil basically refused to take any of the credit. Phil is very so when you when you are when you are as a coach your thing is man management and and team cohesion and motivation really what that means is you are manipulating these players right you are you are through through deceit or or through other means you are manipulating other people to feel a certain way and like i don't know i don't think they're really going to go into that much in this maybe they will but they certainly didn't in episode four which was the phil jackson episode
0: Yeah, I think there's ways that they could probably touch on it without it being um, in a negative light. Like one classic example um, that everyone knows is the whole Phil Jackson giving a book, you know, to players. And it was like, what is the subliminal message that, you know, Phil is trying to get me to take away by reading this book. But that again was, it was like, oh, Phil gives a book. That's such a nice gesture. And then the subtext is, no, this is a manipulative thing where he's trying to alter your worldview and somehow change you as a basketball player.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, I guess I, I did not I did not at all know the story of how the triangle offense came to, to Phil's knowledge. Like I just, I guess I had sort of assumed that the triangle offense was like Phil's thing and i did not i didn't really understand that it was this old k-state men's basketball coach that jerry Krause had hired as an assistant and and basically ousted doug collins when when like and i i guess probably it was that tex winter was not like would not have been a good man guy like would not have been a good motivator or whatever would not have been able to connect with the players the way that uh the way that phil did so i don't know i don't like phil jackson i think
0: it is interesting, though, because Jerry Krause was the punching bag in the first two episodes. But we continue to get these little nuggets of Krause making some really sharp decisions and understanding that, you know, Phil Jackson would be the one to take this team to the next step forward. And also, like you said, understanding that Tech's winners wasn't capable of the other element of coaching needed to do it. And so then had Phil Jackson get groomed underneath him until he was ready. So I don't know, we I think we have to start giving Krause and I think Nate was doing it last week on your episode too. like, he made some sharp moves that really set them up for success.
1: I mean, uh, also, again, we got to go back a little bit. Rodman was 25 when he got drafted and went to an NAIA school. I mean, that that is the sort of thing that is like, i mean you'd get fired if you drafted a 25 year old from it uh i mean just if you drafted a 25 year old at all like you're you're getting fired sounds like uh, you're
0: talking about jeff janice
1: <laughs> janice was like 21 bro and he didn't go to naia he was a uh, he was saginaw valley state you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. uh um, no
0: i went I, my university i went to at the time it's now d2 but at the time it was naia and it's uh, it's wild to think of like a fifth year senior from my college <laughs> getting drafted into the NBA.
1: I wonder if I wonder if we can find uh, I wonder if we can find Dennis Rodman stats from from there anyway. I mean, I guess I guess today what would have happened is he would have just went to go play in the G League or in, in Italy or whatever. Okay, so back to uh, back to Phil Jackson. We get the we get the story of him. Uh, playing for the Knicks, winning the championship, and everything, which comes into play later in Phil Jackson's life, and then he goes to some Latin American country to go coach basketball, uh, and, and is talking about like the referees got shot for for throwing one of the games, and and he he went to go trip acid. And I also I also found the uh, the Native American element of Phil Jackson's story a bit uh, unbecoming. Like I was just like that's weird. Like what, what is, what is Phil Jackson doing? Like appropriating all of this culture to like reach out to Dennis Rodman who like actually lived near an Indian reservation. I I think what I'm learning is I don't like Phil Jackson very much.
0: Yeah. It's hard to understand. Like when you are appropriating, you know, Buddhism, meditation, uh, indigenous American philosophies, these random spiritual stuff, it's, it feels a little too tryhardy. It does. Whereas if it was just like, Oh, Phil Jackson's a Buddhist, and it's like, okay, yeah, that's his thing, but this cocktail of mysticism uh, is is suspicious.
1: Yeah. Okay. So the uh, the the great Rodman, Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson story. Guy get, guy gets back from Vegas. Phil's whole thing is, okay, we got to get we got to get Rodman back in shape, right? We got it. We got to get him. We got to get him able to play thirty minutes a night. So they're doing. They're basically doing wind sprints, right? It's it's a it's a game that Phil has where. Uh, you, you basically have to do wind sprints, but the person who is in the, in the lead of these wind sprints uh, can control the pace of how fast everyone else is going. So Michael's up front, basically just doing a white jog, and then uh, Rodman, Rodman gets to the front. Everyone has to go as fast as the person up front. Rodman gets to the front. And it's just, it's just sprinting. So, like, the the idea of basically a high school basketball coach making his team run suicides is what Phil Jackson was doing with the Bulls and Michael Jordan was doing it, which is just hilarious to me.
0: Yeah. I feel like we've gotten similar stories out of the Patriots dynasty, too, of Belichick running those guys through, like, very rudimentary high school, college football drills. And it's it's probably more of a psychological tactic than it is an actual, you know, drill to get them more in shape you know it's it's saying like look at the end of the day you guys are still pawns on the field and we are trying to win the game and i need to remind you that you guys are our pawns <laughs> and uh sometimes you get a little too larger than life and this is a way to knock you down to size all
1: right are we gonna are we gonna talk about handshake gate where the where the pistons refused to shake the hands of the of the bulls when they when they finally uh when they finally got got beat um I mean, first off, I think all of those guys are clowns, but Isaiah's logic of, oh, well, the Celtics didn't shake our hand, so we weren't going to shake their hand, I thought was pr- like, just particularly uh, stupid. Yeah,
0: I mean, I personally, yeah, could give zero shits. But it was the funny part was them showing Jordan the, the footage, video uh, at him just being so mad. At, you know, like a lot of guys, I think, would just you know, normal people would just laugh and be like, "Oh, Isaiah, like, how do you still have this take?" And Jordan's legitimately pissed off about it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like, I wonder, I wonder of the guys he played against, I wonder if Michael Jordan likes or respects any of them. I mean, I guess Ron Harper, because Ron Harper came to come play with him later for the Bulls. But I just, I, I, yeah, I just think, I think whereas, like, you know, Kevin Durant and and LeBron James are, like, hanging out over the offseason making documentaries together, like, MJ probably doesn't like any of them.
0: No. No, he doesn't. Um yeah and that's what's what's fun about m j too is I think again this whole thing about in this era you know people's personalities and stuff can be manufactured they can be packaged, but you Michael Jordan is not gonna hide his disdain to just look more marketable in a documentary. he's like i it's just him, it's raw Michael Jordan. I think that's refreshing for people to see
1: well he is he is rich enough um have to <laughs> have to whoever. Whoever set this documentary up for Michael to be smoking a cigar and drinking during it, I think that uh, that person deserves a raise because that that definitely that definitely got Michael to loosen up a little bit more right like just just a little bit more like you can you can tell I think that they spent a long time priming Michael up to do this right to to talk about this because it, it's it's very candid stuff, I think
0: The funny thing is is uh, they had to have shot. I don't know, 20 hours worth of interviews with Jordan. I mean, was he just drinking and smoking for the, those entire time? I'm uh, sure. Yeah.
1: I mean, what I mean, what else does MJ have to do? Uh, another thing I, I appreciated about the broadcast is – Current NBA players recording via FaceTime, like their their thoughts on the Bulls, and just having nothing coherent to say. Like Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony and Chris Paul trying to talk about the about the '90s Bulls, and just absolutely nothing to say. Like these guys are. I mean, those. I guess maybe just those two specifically are unwilling to uh, to say anything interesting. But like, I actually think. I mean, I hope we get LeBron talking at some point, right? Like, I and and. I think something this documentary is missing and maybe I hope that we get there, but I mean, I feel like as someone who grew up watching basketball in the two thousands, like I want, I want to hear Kobe talk about Michael. Well,
0: yeah, because Kobe is going to have these first person experiences. I was just looking up Chris Paul's age. I mean, he's a year older than me. So he definitely remembered the tail end of that. But again, like our memories are just going to be like, yeah man I would shoot hoops in my driveway and pretend like I was Michael Jordan fading away you know it's like okay that's cool like we all idolized him but yeah what there's there's nothing of substance there that's interesting for for the masses
1: yeah kind of kind of a bummer we don't get uh Madonna in this documentary right because she she I mean many people think that she was the one who inspired the uh the creation of like Rodman the the dyed hair pierced ears and everything like you know, yeah. like that's, that's sort of what people, I guess that's what people said in the documentary.
0: Well, maybe we'll get it Like We did get some Carmen Electra because that was his girlfriend at the time for the Vegas, uh, trip. Um, yeah. but maybe we'll get some Madonna later. How many more episodes do we have? Six,
1: six more episodes. Yeah. Two episodes a night every Sunday for three more weeks.
0: Do you like having the two episodes or do you wish they'd drip it out? Uh, one at a time.
1: Mm, no, I like to, because it gives you, it's like a nice little middle of, of the binge. Like, you know, you get to sit down, you get to watch two hours. And also it's like, you know, kind of roughly the time of a basketball game or whatever, you know, like, it, and we, I mean, we did, we do, we just miss these, these communal experiences. Like the last dance that now that, now that the NFL draft is over, the last dance is, has to hold us over until yeah, whenever, you know, it is.
0: It's, it's funny and it's kind of a bit ironic that a lot of what lends, you know, the Jordan the Bull story to this, you know, to be deified and mythologized is that it was, you know, the center of the monoculture. In the mid '90s, and part of why that can't happen today, or you know, you didn't happen with the Warriors, is because we don't have a monoculture. Everybody's getting pulled in all these directions. So the irony that because of coronavirus, we now have some kind of monoculture, single, singular event in watching the last dance about a monoculture era team is uh, is pretty interesting.
1: Well, even even further than that you got to watch all of their regular season games because WGN owned the rights to the bulls games and those, but that's a national TV channel. So like it was, it was just sort of a perfect storm of like Jordan's So great. Uh, ESPN is getting bigger at the time. Everyone, you know, if you're, if you're a kid in Idaho, you can watch, you can just watch him play on a random Tuesday night. Whereas like, you know, you would like if, if I was living in Texas and I wanted to watch a Denver nuggets game, I mean, literally, I'm sure there just was not a way to do that. There just would not have been a way to watch a Nuggets home season game if you didn't live in Denver.
0: Yeah, it's funny you say that because I know, growing up, my we didn't have cable in our house, and I, but I was able with the rabbit ear antennas to get WGN. And yep. then the other thing that was so awesome back then is Sundays would be NBC triple headers, and it would always have the Bulls. The Bulls would always be one of the three teams and they'd have like a noon, a three thirty, and a seven o'clock game. And you could, you just always could bank on, I get to watch Michael Jordan on, uh, on NBC on a Sunday.
1: Imagine the DFS slates for those. That would have been fun. But the prize pools would have been, uh, would have been huge. Um, all right, man, any, well, I guess, I guess we haven't really talked about, about Pippen at all. Um, he, uh, I mean, it was he was I guess very close to getting traded in in this season, and uh, then he, he gets back from you know he doesn't play for thirty five games, hasn't been practicing with the team, has a has a foot injury, comes back from injury, boom, thirty one minutes back the first night. the uh, the rest warriors the 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 load management warriors uh, they have to be they like all the people who are like oh these guys don't need that much rest they have to just be you know being like oh well Scotty was fine bro he came back thirty one minutes he was fine
0: yeah. Yeah, and it was interesting too how Scotty was kind of you know talking about how he was going to hold out and not play that entire year, and then you know at the end of the day, these guys are basketball players; they're competitors. And it's like, no, I got to get back out there. I ain't just sitting around and watching this. I mean,
1: Michael would have Michael would have killed him, probably.
0: Yeah, I bet Michael deep down knew I don't have to push him too hard. He's going to come back because he's just going to be bored out of his mind. It's what these guys do; they they go and play basketball.
1: Yeah, and I guess you know I didn't. Um, it's like, I did not realize that that final year for Michael was like LeBron's last year in Cleveland. So like 2009, 2010, pretty much every night LeBron would be like, Oh, well, what are you doing? Where where, where are you going to go play? So this was before he went to go join Miami or whatever. And uh, I guess I, I guess I didn't really realize that, you know, Michael was dealing with the same thing with, with every single night, the reporters being all up in his grill. And also very, very close access to Michael Jordan. Like they, they did that little bit of like Michael's personal security or whatever. But I mean, those reporters, like they're just in the tunnel at, at uh, whatever, wherever the bulls played back then. I don't know if it was the United center or or somewhere else. And they're just, they're just chatting with him. They were there in the, the treatment room, you know, Scotty's getting his ankle taped up and Michael's hanging out with him wearing his terrible Kangol hats with his terrible earring. And he's just talking to the reporters, right? Like, he's just like, just hanging out, just chatting, you know, Like you, I definitely that sort of access to players does not exist now.
0: Not to get off topic, but do you think Bruce Arians is watching this and being like, man, if the hat that I wear today was in style for Jordan in the mid nineties, maybe I need to update my look.
1: That's probably where Bruce Arians got it, dude. He's probably <laughs> yeah. like, dude, Jordan is the coolest. So I'm just gonna, I mean, I, is, is Bruce Arians watching the last dance? Probably not. He's, uh, he's, dude. He's too. He's too busy putting together uh, Raymond Calais packages. Yeah. You now
0: no, he's thinking about how he can get Keyshawn Vaughn three hundred checkdowns this season.
1: <laughs> uh, there. Okay. I just had. Uh, I just had another thing from this documentary, but then I just lost it. Uh, that's frustrating. I had
0: written, I had written a few things down too. Uh, let me see if there was anything that I missed. Um. Oh, one thing I wanted to talk about that was crazy, and I know you weren't watching this live, but we've all seen like the Jordan highlight package, the packages of just all the stuff. I am just amazed by the sheer volume of iconic plays that Jordan had. It's like every single series in the playoffs, it's like, oh, the Pistons one where he's falling out of bounds and he spins and saves it and then gets it back for the finish. Or obviously the iconic right hand to switch left hand layup. It's like every series they talk about, has this iconic shot. And I'm like, I can't think of anyone today who has that sheer volume of iconic shots. It, it's wild. He has like 40 of them.
1: Well, it's because also we don't, like, people are not watching until the finals. Yeah. Like, like like the average WGN Thursday night Bulls game in 1996 gets three times as many viewers as the Western Conference finals between the 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 Thunder and the Lakers, right? Like, that's yeah. just that's just true. So, that is, that is one of the reasons why. I mean, he has so many iconic moments that he hit a game-winning shot in a national championship as an 18-year-old at the University of North Carolina, and it's just, it's whatever, right? It's just yeah. completely what, like, more people know about Gordon Hayward missing that shot when Butler was in the national championship than Michael Jordan hitting an actual game-winning shot in college.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. It also... I like that part where Doug Collins was talking about the year that Jordan had in 88, where he was just, you know, listing off some of the peripheral stuff, which i it seems silly, but like winning the dunk contest and being the NBA defensive player in the year while leading the league and scoring, being MVP, like it was just like every single possible thing to win or achieve that year. And Michael just swept it
1: yeah, that's just uh, that's that's just, you know, what do you? okay, this is uh, this was the best to me petty Michael Jordan story that we got so far. In that cab series or in that that piston series, all of these Chicago beat writers picked the Pistons to win in three <laughs> games and four games and in five games. Cause back then they played five game series in the first round and MJ comes up to the scorers table where they're all sitting and he goes, he points at the guy who picked the other team in three says, I took care of you. The other one, the other guy that took the Pistons in four took care of you. And then he goes, the last guy who picked him in five and he said, all right, and tonight we're taking care of you. And like, that is, that is peak feeding into the mythology, peak petty, and just peek like this dude will take a slight from anyone and, and turn it into competitive fuel, which again, love to see it.
0: That is actually that is probably one of the best like those nuggets like we had at the first episode about golfing with Danny Ainge, being like, I'm gonna drop fifty on you tonight, or even telling Phil Jackson, I'm not gonna let you lose your first game. Like I the the kind of babe Ruth calling your shot stuff is just it's so good.
1: Yeah, it is it is really good. Um, you know, I still I still uh like I'm on the fence of like Michael Jordan as a person, you know, like because like there's things that like LeBron and Durant have done with their platform that MJ just you know you know Republicans buy sneakers too. Like I think that's really shitty. Basically, like I think that is a, a bad way for athletes to use their societal influence. But on the other hand, it is hilarious for Michael Jordan to be the person that he is like, it's like, I can't, I can't blame him for being the person that he is because he is a hilarious cartoon of a human being, but it's like, at the same time, you're not a good person, Mike, you know what I mean?
0: And that's, that's funny too. Yeah. Cause now that you say it too, it feels like this thing of society and culture and the responsibility of these athletes. It, it has continued to elevate, you know, what we expect of them and what they can do. And this documentary with Jordan is just like, all Jordan does is like golf and drink and gamble. He's like, has not evolved as a human? Maybe that's unfair for me to say. It doesn't feel like it.
1: It does this, not. It, he Publicly, it does not seem as if he is any different than he was in 1998.
0: Right. And so what this documentary has done, it's just like, we're just going to ignore that everything in the world has happened. We're just going to go quite literally meet you in your living room and let you tell stories from back in the day. Like a time capsule of this right. moment in time where it's like, Jordan could have been telling these stories in '98 or 2020. Or now. Just, he's still the same guy.
1: The 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 airplane moment where he's like, uh, where he's hating on the new guy, Scott Scott Burrell, when he's like, this kid, he's out all night with girls. Mom and dad, he's an alcoholic, and the guy's like, dude, please, like my mom and dad are gonna watch this, and he's just like, I don't care. I'm just gonna I'm gonna call you out in front of everyone in there. Uh, they're you know they're gambling on the plane and everything. I wonder how hard MJ just hustled. Uh, on on gambling on the plane but I wonder I wonder if he like got like Luke Longley to play PLO without like knowing the rules I mean I think we
0: learn we know the answer to this because what in the first few episodes he bought Scotty Pippen a set of golf clubs just so he could hustle him on the court I mean
1: love to see it yeah all right any other uh any other notes from episodes three and four
0: um, oh, there's only one other quote that I loved. Uh, Lambeer talking about Dennis Rodman. And he goes, you don't put a saddle on a Mustang.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, true though. I mean, yeah. Rodman, Rodman to me, most interesting character of these first four episodes. yet. Yeah, like I was, I was most inspired to like learn more about Rodman from these first four episodes. Like he just seems like a, a badass.
0: Oh, and one other kind of just, you know, feeding into the Jordan mythology about how much he cared. Um, there was that scene with from Bulls practice and Doug Collins, it seems like would kind of fuss with the scores. Oh the yeah. Team. He's like,
1: Oh coach cheated me on score and practice. Like at that point I was actually like, Jordan, this is actually trying too hard. Like th- I am now annoyed with this anecdote. Like that's too much. You're taking it too far.
0: It, I know it, but it is like, I I completely believe it. Like it's like, oh, he puts me with the second teamers and I think we're hanging with the with the first team and you're shaving points off and and now I'm very pissed at you to the point where he had to go have like a heart-to-heart with Doug about it. It does like, dude, I'm just motivating the squad and he's like, I don't care, get the scores right.
1: Classic, classic. So, uh we will be back next week, episodes 5 and 6. Uh you can watch the last dance on ESPN.com wherever. Uh, I, I think it's great, I'm very, I'm very much enjoying having something to experience with everyone else on Twitter all at once. Uh, I mean, the NFL draft was cool too, but we are now, we are now entering into a long winter, Peter. It's going to be, it's going to be months before we all get something to simultaneously experience again.
0: Well, let's just enjoy these rookie drafts while we got them and then we can re- reevaluate. We got to take it one week at a time, Davis.
1: One week at a time. All right, everyone, follow Peter on Twitter, at Peter Overzet, and uh, we will be back uh, later in the week with, uh, with more content for everybody.